confusing to try to be articulate in a time of um, not only like a, you know a combination of shock and just emotions really having having me completely that's Rory O'Brien on a cold January morning in 2003 she sat alone in a stark interrogation room eight blocks away from where her brother was murdered from ABC News this is a murder on Orchard Street. The 7th Precinct. It's this hulking brick building almost underneath the Williamsburg Bridge that hasn't changed at all since I was there in 2003. Upstairs, the squad room. It's where all the cops hang out, brainstorm. It's buzzing. Walls cluttered with perp photographs, half-drunk coffees on top of paperwork. And just past that, the interrogation rooms. Sitting in this room, being questioned. They'd leave for a good hour and a half, and then come back, maybe talk to me for 20 minutes, leave for a good hour and a half. Rory was questioned by several detectives, including the lead on the case, Kenny Sylvia. When you go and you speak to her, you can't help but feel the pain and the trauma that she's going through. As much as you want to pull that information out of her because it's important to the case, you still also are dealing with a, a grieving family member. You have to empathize and, and understand that. By the time that I left there, it was like 3 or 4 in the afternoon or whatever it was, and hadn't slept, had been involved in, you know, the most like horrible thing that I could possibly ever imagine. I believe right now the only one that's not being spoken to is our suspect. The main suspect at this point, Burke's friend, Forrest Bloaty. Here's Sergeant Andy Dietz. We want to get information from all these witnesses that maybe will give us information and ammunition to take a run at him to try and uh, knock out his story. Isn't it odd that he never once said he was shot? Male black? By somebody? By somebody? That's what I kept saying. So, he was robbed, something? That's the first thing you're going to do. He said, my friend was shot. Male, male something, whatever. Usually that's one of the first things that comes out. Anybody got a description? That's the detectives breaking down the 911 call that Forrest made. Suspicion was continuing to grow that he pulled the trigger. We're going we're gonna to do, do this now. Kenny Sylvia was known as a sort of closer. He could get people to open up, and he was hoping to get something out of Forrest. My role was to really develop um, a rapport with this guy. When you interact with people, um, especially if they're being accused of something, more times than not, they're going to lie. And the police are used to that. They don't expect anyone to really answer their questions truthfully right from the beginning. There was something Forrest didn't want to tell me. After hours of questioning, Kenny walked out of the interrogation room, but not with a confession. What he says is the truth. It's 100% different than what the witness says. He says they're getting ready to go into the building. He happens to, something catches his eye off to his side. He turns around, 
and next thing you know, he's got a gun in his face. And he clearly says it's a 45. But there seemed to be something off with Forrest's account. Most people, when they get robbed, especially at gunpoint, they, they focus on the gun, but they don't focus on, on the type of gun. Uh, they don't focus on the caliber of the gun. Here's Forrest who can give you a, a, a description, a detailed description of the weapon. He, he knows what caliber it is. He can tell you what it looked like, but he, he could barely tell you what the guy was wearing. In fact, he said when he, when he reached into his pocket to get the money, he just, he just reached into his pocket and just kind of held his hand out. And then the police learned why he knew what a forty-five looked like. He knows guns. He knows guns. Why would he be so terrified of guns if he knows guns? He grew up with them. He learned to shoot guns when he was young, when he was And something else didn't add up. If someone was trying to rob Forrest and Burke, like Forrest was claiming, why didn't he take the expensive watch Forrest was wearing? He got this big, beautiful, you seen his watch? What do you call them things? It's not a, it's a nice watch. Why don't you take it? You don't have the $12. From what I saw at the time, I completely believed that Forrest was guilty. Rory, who was still in a state of shock, didn't know what to think. They had told me some things about Forrest, about having a gun, and they were pretty sure, you know? And they, were, they had all sorts of things to support that, witnesses, this gun that they found, and, or this gun that he had, or whatever it was. Um, and so they were really convinced. So I believed them. But not all the cops were convinced Forrest was guilty. Here's Kenny Sylvia. I haven't been yelling at him. I haven't gotten nasty with him. I still continued to go at him, though, and still continued to, to try to get down to the bottom of it. I just told him a few minutes ago, last time I found out was about 3 or 4 o'clock as afternoon. I was still alive, but still touching on And he used an interrogation technique that might get him closer to the truth. He told Forrest a lie. I want to keep that doubt in Forrest's mind that his friend is alive and that his friend is going to pull through this. And then when his friend wakes up and is recovering, he's going to be able to tell us exactly what happened and the story is not going to jive with Forrest. By telling him that Burke was alive, Kenny wanted to back Forrest into a corner, but Forrest didn't budge on his story. He was sort of becoming a little bit combative and saying, well, you know what, when, when, when Burke wakes up, he's going to tell you. His story is going to be the same as mine. It's not going to change. His story is going to tell you exactly what I've been saying. And that's where I began to think that this guy is, is not lying. He's not being deceitful. Even though Forrest was an adult, he was still so young that Kenny decided to reach out to his father to explain what was going on, and also to see if there was proof that Forrest's 45, the type of gun that killed Burke, was still in Texas. And it's kind of important that we get in touch with him. His son is in our custody, essentially, and... Do you know where he is for the <laughs> It's a real serious allegation, but I got a hold of an assistant or a secretary. But he didn't get very far. We have some other information that we want to um, have him clarify for us. Okay. Do you, do, you, do you understand that somebody died last night? Is this not important? Her <sighs> family got shot and killed. She would want us to do everything we can, but I guess a family party is too important to interrupt this guy. Meanwhile, Forrest was still sitting alone in an interrogation room. Just on the other side of the door, the hum of the squad room. Outdated typewriters. Desk phones ringing. Seven Squad, can I help you? And new cases coming in. Look at that here. Yeah, Across the hall, Sergeant Dietz was in a small office with the other sergeants. We have no detectives over here, right? No. I told the cops just why we need. A big photo of the police commissioner watching over them. 
and a huge clock on the wall that reminded me of high school. Sergeant Dates. Did you find it? Oh, you did. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. I think we found uh, our witness call. How do you know? Actually, I'm walking on the block and I heard it. You heard but it? But as I got to the corner, I see the man laying on the ground. Okay, how many shots did you hear? Only heard one. Heard a shot. I heard a shot. I'm walking on the block. I get to the corner. I see a friend. Somebody put a jacket on the guy and then walk back inside the building. When the detectives listened to the tape, they realized that it didn't match what the witness had been telling them all day. On the call, he said he had just heard the shot. He didn't see it. So he says he saw guys as he's walking up in the distance. And he was attracted to them only because they're the only two guys on the block. But that's not what he says there, so which is the truth. I saw walking on the block and I heard it. But as I got to the corner, I see the man laying on the ground. In his own words, he says, I was coming up to the corner and I heard the shot. Is he continuing to walk on the block and says, yeah, this guy gets shot and watching the whole thing. And as I approach the corner, I see this guy lay a blank, like a, like a jacket on him. Or is he saying, I hear, I'm on this street now. The shooting is taking place the, over there. He's, oh, he's he's at, right, right, I hear the shot. The witness had provided conflicting testimonies, and it wasn't the only setback. Here's Kenny Sylvia again. The first witness, we find out that he has an arrest history. The witness had a few outstanding warrants for petty larceny. The one I heard about was a suspended license. But that wasn't the issue. It was that he lied about it. The fact that the first witness had an arrest history, that doesn't necessarily make him a bad guy. It doesn't make him a bad witness. It wouldn't be so bad if even if he had the warrant, but he didn't tell us that he even got arrested. So if you lie about that, did you lie about the scam? His conflicting testimony and not mentioning the warrant made it harder for police to believe the witness. And so they went back to Orchard Street to recreate his account and see if it made sense. Some folks don't stop searching till they find the truth. If you've got a detective's eye, June's Journey is the game for you. Play as June Parker in a gripping murder mystery as you find hidden objects to help solve her sister's death. You'll hunt for clues in hundreds of beautifully illustrated scenes set in the roaring 20s. New chapters are added weekly. Find your first clue by downloading June's Journey today. Available on Android and iOS mobile devices as well as on PC through Facebook games. We've got the exclusive view behind the table. Every day, right after the show, while the topics are still hot, the ladies go deeper into the moments that make the view the view. The View's Behind the Table podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Look at this light. It's the brightest spot in the block. We put ourselves in, in the shoes of the witness and we walk that same path that he would have walked at the same time that he would have done it. So the lighting is the same. And to see, well, he says he saw this. Could he have really seen that? I gotta say, you can't see faces. Right, you can see two guys there. Look up. And one guy go, pow! I go, oh. If you walk back towards the North street, south, right? another 50 feet, you could see. Yeah. And then Kenny went on the other side of the street and you can even see better on that side. They even brought the witness back to the scene. We brought him back out early, and now the DA's bringing him back out. So in his mind, he can picture where people were and what you could see from certain positions. 
This seemed to help, and the detectives looked to be regaining confidence in his story. Our witness explained the possible what we thought could have been a discrepancy between no, a 911 tape and his original statement. He explained it. It's convincing. So we don't think he's lying to us. Back at the precinct, Kenny Sylvia took another run at Forrest. This is him reporting back to the other detectives in the squad room. What's up, buddy? What's going on? Why are you smiling? He's done in it? Huh? He's done in it? Yeah, the video's done. Smile for? Because I don't think there's anything that's not going to be an A1 tonight. He hasn't flinched one way or the other. The story has been the same since I spoke to him at 8 o'clock this morning. Is he and asking he's, how his friend he's, he's straightforward. He looks you in the eye. Either the guy is really, really good or, or what he's saying is the truth. Within hours, Forrest lawyered up and questioning was over. About 10 o'clock, we got a... Actually, the desk downstairs got a call saying that an attorney represents him, so we can't talk to him anymore. So... Didn't say we were going to get much more out of him anyway, so... But by that time, it was already too late. Most of the detectives had their minds made up. All right, this is the deal. His story is bull****, all right? Manufactured this whole thing about a robbery. It didn't occur. We have an independent witness. There's only two people on the street. Those two people. This kid and the dead kid. Collectively, there was a decision that um, there was just enough to lock up Forrest and charge him with the homicide. Forrest, still waiting alone in an interrogation room, was about to be dealt two crushing blows. You know, the assistant DA, I don't even remember his exact words, but he says, you know, the story's still not matching up, and uh, your friend Burke is dead. And then he, and he says... Uh, he died a while ago, and uh, we'll be charging you with murder. And Kenny Sylvia, the detective who was least convinced that Forrest was the killer, was the one who actually had to put the handcuffs on him. Looking for the camera? That's a decision that the district attorney made. Um, the evidence we need to lock somebody up is a lot less than what they need for a conviction. The thing that really sunk him was the fact that he admitted putting the jacket on the victim. And that's what our, the, the eyewitness said, whoever shot him put the jacket on him. So. It seems strange to me how some detectives could be so sure Forrest was guilty while Kenny and a few others still had their doubts. I'm not so anxious that an arrest has to be made right now, but I just wish we had something a little bit more one way or the other. And all of this while a life was hanging in the balance. I'll be back in the morning. I guess I'll wrap up uh, whatever loose ends are in the morning. But worked out good. I've made hundreds of arrests before, and in this case, it, it just didn't feel right. Forrest was about to spend his first night in jail for a crime he didn't commit. But a new witness was about to come forward and clear his name. Next time on A Murder on Orchard Street. Here I am, went out, and all of a sudden, you know, I was mugging out here. Why me?
Thank you for listening to A Murder on Orchard Street. If you're interested in this story, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a quick review to help others discover it too. You could submit tips about this case to the NYPD by calling 1-800-577-TIPS. Again, that's 1-800-577-8477. A Murder on Orchard Street is a seven-part series produced by the teams at ABC News Nightline, ABC Radio, and ABC News Digital. Our website is abcnews.com slash orchardstreet. New episodes post Tuesday mornings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, and the ABC News app. You'll find our other podcasts there, too, and at abcnewspodcasts.com. I'm Christina Kiley.